What is up, Dinesleberg? This is the third installment of your favorite podcast, Dinesle Talks. We are here again, Leonard and Lou, talking about a very interesting movie. Uh, we're going to talk about The Social Dilemma, a documentary that came out on Netflix a couple years ago, I think on 2020. Um, and, and we're going to be tackling the, the, the political and societal issues that this, that this documentary raises. Just as a, as a bit of context, this is a documentary that talks about um, social media in general uh, in the digital era. Um, and it, it has a very interesting format. It has uh, a panel of experts that appear intermittently. And there's also a fictional story um, that, that kind of helps illustrate the points that these, that these experts are, are making. But the whole point of the documentary is to analyze the implications that uh, the presence of social media um, has in our lives. And it has a, it's especially pertinent for uh, Generation Z, of which we're both a part of, the people that were born roughly at, after 1996. Um, it has some very, very interesting implications. So to, to get the, the ball running, um, there's, there's a question with which the experts seem to struggle a bit, and it, and it opens up this documentary. Uh, we're seeing kind of images of um, the ways in which people can be manipulated through social media. Uh, we see news about addiction. We see news about suicide rates going up and, and right. pre-adolescent women. And, and we see all of these things, but it's kind of hard to find a common thread amongst them. And so the, the question, the, the main question is, what what is the problem with social media? What is the social dilemma? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I th I think it's really hard to give a question. Uh, to give an answer on that question. Um, but I have two ideas why the experts are struggling about this question. One idea or one <coughs> possible explanation is I think it's a multi-layer problem. We have. On the like, on the, we will also touch upon these different things. There are these individual psychological problems, like something like addiction, mental health, and so on. And then we have these, um, maybe on a societal level, more relevant thing, or like, or even, or especially on a societal level, relevant things like misinformation, right? right. Um. So, first of all, first of all, there, there is this variety of 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 possible consequences on different levels so that that makes it hard to really um formulate the the problem um and the second thing is for all these things you can you could come up with um it's hard to explain what what is new about them manipulation misinformation addiction that has always been there in in human history right and it's hard to really um get like grasp what is different now in the information age? You can say, well, everything is just more, yeah. But is that enough as a uh, description, uh, problem description? I'm not sure. Right, right. What What would be your take in instinctively? Is that the case? Mm, I think there is. I would say one one differentiation is that things get get mixed for example social things like social interaction gets get gets mixed with elements of rewarding systems and so on and uh, you have these network effects it's it's for if you for example take uh, the lottery people are addicted of lottery but the the problem that they don't quit is that they are addicted right. 
with social media, it's not only that I'm addicted of social media, it's also that all my friends are on social media. So it's not only me quitting social media because then I, I'm socially isolated to a certain extent, right? So there there's this double mechanism there there yeah this double right. mechanism that holds people on social media right. it's not only the addiction but on top the the social things right. and i think there are certain things paired which haven't been paired before right this is completely unprecedented not only in in scale but also in the machinery that goes behind it and i think that's 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 one of the first things that the documentary tries to tackle which is this kind of relationship between relationship between addiction addiction literally addiction to a screen and the effect that that has on mental health and i think there's also underlying social issues that are just magnified by by the fact that we have social media in which we're exposed to the li lives of you know 200 yeah. plus people all the time and they are exposed to our lives as well um so the documentary raises it, it's really interesting to see these experts um that they're all you know pretty much like in their early 30s but they're expressing their concern and saying we are also addicted to these platforms I, the guy from reddit was like i can't mm -hmm. no 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 yeah. pinterest yeah. <laughs> you know? i can't stop scrolling on pinterest so and i think if if everybody takes a moment for uh, for for themselves and thinks about like do i also have something like this there's some people clicking wikipedia pages <laughs> right. like through you know right. and <laughs> even this is is kind of strange I completely agree i completely agree because i remember the first time i saw this movie i was like okay so i do these things i have these dynamics i scroll through instagram i'll scroll through social media so what do i do then with my time if i don't want to do this what do i do i go to the notes app and spend five minutes you know like writing what yeah you know go to wikipedia and go on a wikipedia loop and i think what what we have in the digital era i mean beyond social media is this we live in this world in which we have he used the words an expert used the words this immediate pacifier this this thing that you can just click on that makes you forget that you're bored and boredom had existed for a long long time in our lives and boredom is actually kind of important to the the development of ideas to to the way that you you perceive your life to this to give yourself this pause and so what we what we're doing is is we're eradicating boredom and we're right we're filling that boredom up with other things and even if they're more productive than others maybe it's not about how productive you should be maybe it's about you know should you be doing anything or should you be left alone yeah that's a good question like and are people really doing that much because they're just moving their finger up and down you know like if you if you for example this is also a psychological thing there are studies saying people or saying their their activities there which are active and their activities which are passive and for example 100 years ago children spent a lot of their time or people uh, in general spent a lot of their time with active activities you know mm. you were talking you were playing you were whatever nowadays people spend the majority of their leisure time doing passive activities oh. watching tv watching social media watching other people's play <laughs> games <laughs> like you know if you would tell something like this to uh to something somebody from the 19th century they would say why why would you do that i mean right. okay you could say it's just, but even there it's all it's again it's hard to say what's new because also people uh 70 years ago watched um people play football for example right, right? so it's but i think the that that became much more pronounced right right and i think one of the, one of the things that they 
they talked about as well is this is a new technology. Perfect. We're speaking about, you know, so we're speaking about the internet, I guess, in mm -hmm. general, but social media is the kind of like the, where the magnified glass is put on. Um, this is a new technology, but this is the technology that has been, that is smarter than ever, that, that never before has it, has it demanded so much from you. Never before has it been so present in your life. Yes. Yeah. And it's, and it's not uh, understandable by common sense anymore. You know, all the time before you, each machine, every machine was kind of, you could explain to a child what this, ma what this machine does. Nowadays, as a user and even as a developer, I, I'm not, I, I, I wouldn't bet uh, on this statement, but I'm quite sure that even at Facebook, you won't, you will, it will be hard to find a person who can really explain you from the beginning to the end what Facebook does and how the content comes into wow. your timeline and how this monetizes in the end, monetizes. It's, so there's nobody in the world who really understand how, uh, understands how this works. And I think this is new. And this is also a point where you could say, okay, the machine got, got or reached a point where it's not understandable for humans anymore. At right. least if you don't spend your whole life uh, studying it. Right. And so, so the level of, of complexity is unprecedented. That, that is for sure. And so the question there becomes, well... This, you know, it is, it is a fact that humans tend to develop more and more technologically advanced tools. Yeah. So the purpose of those tools is to be able to do what, what, you're, what you yourself would not be able to do otherwise, to facilitate that human action. So in this case, and I really like how they do that, they, they take that logical step. Mm -hmm. The question is, what is social media helping us do? And so there are, they illustrate the cases of, you know, people that have encountered their, you know, they have high school reunions and they've found love mm -hmm. and they've found organ donors and they have all of this. But is the point of social media to do this, is, is it really the point? Mm -hmm. And if so, no, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, what do you think about this metal metaphor? Like there's one side of the metal, all these great things, mm -hmm. achievements, and the other side of the metal all these downsides they're talking in the um like for example yeah well for example the addiction and mental health problems and so on right, right. because they say i mean they say we have the we have this development of the digital digitalization and um social media and so on and they say it has good and bad sides mm -hmm. and because was i was thinking about isn't that too easy Because I think there are certain features and certain things that are that are that belong to the good side, and it's also hard to say what is bad about them. Right, right, right. But then there are functions, especially this, say, individualized feed content, and also a lot of things that are done, um, yeah, with respect to monetization and so on. That are that just belong to the bad side from my perspective. So that advertisement is personalized, for example, um, in a way you can't understand anymore how it happens. I'm not sure you now. You can you can argue like you get you get the products you really want, but I'm not sure whether it's it's it could be rather you are made to want the products. 
right. which are offered. Right, and I think that's that's when we start getting into the issue. So, so we we have this intuitively. We think, okay, so we're entering this platform and we are consuming this product, but, but who's paying for this product? Mm-hmm. I think the movie does a brilliant, brilliant job at at explaining that we're not paying absolutely, we're not paying a single dime to enter Facebook and use it. And so, if you're not paying for it, well, then you you are the product. You are what's being traded. So your attention is what's being traded. And in this case, I, to, to talk about, to comment about the, this point of the good stuff and the bad stuff, I don't think we even have, I don't think it's even about us. Good stuff or bad stuff about us? Okay, maybe, you know, we'll find love through Facebook, but that's just, you know, something that might, ha- might mm-hmm. happen between two people that are, you know, it, it's not about us. And I think all of the rewards are good because all the rewards are going to the people who are actually paying for them and they're actually getting incredible results, better results than ever in terms of prediction, um, yeah. just in, in, the, in the amounts of data that they can get. So I think that, that social media has been very, very good, very successful and effective to its, to its customers, which are, you know, they're actually, they're private companies. They're not, they're not us. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I also try to get in perspective to, this entangle the, the one side where social media gives users opportunities and the other thing where social media actually make users do things you know mm-hmm. it's not only giving an opportunity they all also make us doing things we wouldn't do usually mm-hmm. because like only connecting all the people for example one of these big narratives of social media um it's a good thing, I would say. Right. But only from connectivity, they come like from, conne- from connectivities, from connectivity doesn't follow communication. Mm. Like only because you're connected, you don't communicate constantly. Like I have neighbors, you know, I could go to, I could go to them and speak to them all the time, but I never do it for, for years, maybe, you know. Yeah, yeah. So they also make us do do things. It's not only about op- opportunities. So do you have an example of that? Something that you that social media could make you do that you wouldn't do otherwise? Yeah, and here maybe I I could probably come up with an, with an example. And when I think about it, but I think there is another point more important. Mm. It's not about it's not about explicit actions mm. usually. You know, it's about the tendency. Right. You know, you were thinking about buying product A or product B, or you were thinking about product buying product A or not buying it at mm. all. And it's about the tendency. They might increase the probability that you buy the product by five percent, say. But this is like on a large scale. That can change the profit of the of the um, producer of this product yeah. to a really large extent, uh, and it can also change behavior at society at all. Like individual behavioral changes of re- really really small margins can 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 yield completely different outcomes on a societal level. Right, right, absolutely. And think about this. What if it's 5%, your tendencies shift 5% towards this desired target of not only you, but all the people that have that fit the data set that you're going yeah. by. You know, it's, it's massive. The effect is absolutely massive. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think and to touch, I mean, this, this has less to do with the people who are funding social media. But for example, I think that one of the tendencies there is to talking about the other, the other consequences of social media, about mental health. The tendency also is 
to compare yourself with 200 plus people with which you have, you know, you would otherwise have very little contact. And I think that's, that's um, an externality that the, 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 the business model has been able to turn a blind eye to just because it is still raking at profit, that there's no consideration for what these dynamics or these tendencies, these shifts and tendencies might do to, especially to young adolescents. Yeah. That's also a point that is not seen before i think that social media changes your social life like if you compare let's say you if you take your relationships to other people 100 years before like these were your peers your parents family that's it nobody else like you have your local and so on nowadays like and usually that's that's another thing these i don't know what what it means but uh, these relationships were also um bidirectional so you, mm. i know you you know me right right so and we are kind of on the same level right and nowadays if you if you see what like teenagers or like people gen z people right. um if you take their social relationships then there you have a lot of relationships that are unidirectional so it's only them following uh, yeah. a celebrity or in, uh, influencer or so and i don't know what it means but i mean if you if you think about what really tiny changes uh, in ecological systems can do mm -hmm. um then you might also think about what can really tiny changes in system like a human being do when when it comes to things that have been constant for since human exists like we were we were just living in small groups you know all talking to each other like we had no idea about who is living on other places um on the world and, and but, but now you change this whole thing <clears throat> and yeah i don't know right right and i think there's still i mean talking about that that be bi-directional um, relationship I think you know even in 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 at least in my case what is the you know what is the equivalent in nature of watching somebody's story on snapchat or on instagram like what is it's some sort of voyeuristic way of engaging with another person that I don't know if it's conducive to you know to to a good harmony in a relationship and I think in, you know, many would say, well, it isn't. And it isn't because it's not meant to be. It's only meant to keep you engaged. It's not meant to, you know, make you foster better relationships. And it's not, I think this is also a point. Like when we talk to each other, it has kind of a rewarding function, you know. You, you, I have the feeling that you understand my ideas and think they're good. And it's the other way around, right? But a unidirectional relationship doesn't have that. Right. Right. That's so there's no kind of interaction, basically. And all things that come with interaction are uh, like, uh, go, go away. Right. Okay. You could say well, people can write comments and so on. But it's not the same way. Right. Right. And I think I think another thing of this uh, that that social media media brings about is that never before have people been able to gather around a particular interest mm -hmm. to the level that we see today. And so that means that, you know, the stuff that were already traditionally popular, like for example, football, you have football fans from all over the world rallying together to, to watch a football team. But you also have these, these smaller niches of, you know, people who think differently with regard to, you know, very fringe ideals. And you also have a way to 
rally around these ideas. And some of these ideas might be problematic. Some of them might not fit in, in a democratic society. Yeah, there again, especially the concern, what is different than before? Because also before people could gather if they have a strange idea or follow a conspiracy theory. Yeah, the the you know? outreach that you would have, don't you think that, would, that, that increased in scope? I mean, so how many people would you know that thought the earth was flat? I mean, this is a fact. There's more people today than ever. Well, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, I get, I get your point. You, you would have a hard time to connect in real world, right? right? Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. That's, that's true. The, especially to the, the, the probability or to the opportunity to search for other people who have right. the same whatever is uh, increased. Right. To a, to a um, significant extent, yeah, right. And I think here we start we start getting into the the role that social media plays in today's society because mm -hmm. I think for a long time we had, I mean they're hardly analogous, but we had you know parks and malls and mm -hmm. you, know, you would interact in them and you would exchange ideas and then you'd go with your friends. And today we have social media platforms. Those are the agoras of 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 the new of the of our world at least, and. Contrary to malls or to parks, there is seem to be some sort of there seem to be a lack of some sort of uh, guidelines in some cases mm -hmm. to keep away something that could be detrimental to society at whole, as a whole. Do, do you think that's a, that's a fair assessment with regards to people that you know might have ideas that might be dangerous to society? Mm -hmm. I I think so. the The problem is. Or we might come back to that also when we talk about regulation later. But um, I think some and this is also one main point of critique I have uh, regarding the, the documentary. I think they kind of picture the the developers and algorithms and so on in a way that they would consciously try to get you doing something or so on but i think like these things are don't happen consciously there are developers who de develop really tiny functions so one developer has just a goal as much people to um, reach as much people as you as you can or reach or um, get as much likes as you can like people should put uh, should press the like button people should come back to our platform this is a really tiny thing and this is there's no bad thing about that you know that has been all like a barkeeper from the 15th century, 15th century was also thinking about how can I bring people back to my bar and, and, <laughs> right, right. like and, and next night, right? Yeah. And I think this is uh, this is so I think it's it's all these tiny uh, goals and they add up to a whole system that n like nobody is really knowing what is what it, what it is doing and nobody really knows like what it means for society and nobody is thinking about any rules or guidelines. Right, right. It is only when they are compounded that they've, they've formed this monster. And I think I agree with you in that the characterization of the algorithm as these three guys who were controlling the, you know, the, the, guy, the, the fictional protagonist of the story. But, but I think it, is, it raises a very important question. One question that we tend to, you know, almost it's like we say yes almost too quick but is it unethical to monetize a platform for which you you know users don't pay one cent 
I don't think it's unethical to monetize a platform. You, I, you know, I don't think you'd be able to keep it up. You know, you need people to keep these websites up. You need mm. there's workers. You know, so I, I think that's a it's a it's a very interesting question because you can very well see how the developers of these platforms saw the necessity to monetize them with these schemes. They saw the amount of data that they could get, and they took the only logical path, which is yes. Let's, like they said, let's dial this up, let's dial this down, and then and we can get the results that we want. I don't think there's anything unethical about it. Yeah, not in the first place. But there's a difference between financing something, because you could think, I want to like, enable people to connect with each other, and I allow this and this functions to do that. And it costs me that much money, and this is these are my options to monetize. Mm. But I think Facebook thinks differently. <laughs> they think from monet from the monetizing point on, right? Mm. So they think about how can we like we want to make money. So we make money if people are on our platform and see as much content uh, or personalized content content they like, right? Mm -hmm. So and then they think that from the other direction. You know, they don't think like how much money, like how do we finance our product? But the, the thing is, how do we get as much money out of our product as possible? Right. So right. the, <coughs> I think um, this is one problem and I wanted to. Right, right, right. It's what, uh, I'm sorry about that. It's just the one that comes first. Like what you're saying is the incentive here is first to get th to make the profit and then to think about what are the, you know, positive uh, repercussions for the, the users. But the one takes precedence over the other. Yeah. And I think with my last point, kind of, uh, it's kind of playing dev devil's advocate because I, what I, what I think is that there's not companies like Facebook, but like companies in other industries don't have an ethical bone and they don't need to have an ethical bone because it's not up to them to be ethical in a perfect world it wouldn't be them calling the shots i we should dial yeah. this down you know they should be constrained to dial this down why because it's illegal just like it's illegal to show uh, you know ads for tobacco at 9 a.m in a public channel it's illegal you know and so so i think this the whole i really like that this film has former developers for these companies mm -hmm. and you can see that they're normal people they're people that have morals that are concerned and that participate in this political economy in which the only way to make a margin in an unregulated unregulated industry is to be as ferocious as possible as immoral as possible and to pursue profit but that doesn't mean it has to be this way that also is um with the condition that you have competitors serious right right, right right so facebook could also be more moral and they would still make money <laughs> it's right. not that all all users and all advertisers would switch to their competitors because there there are no <laughs> okay okay but this is i mean it's it's um what would you call it it's just inflating something that happens even if they were a little bit more moral you know it's still not up to them but to be more on the or other hand moral. like they they have their shareholders right? right and their shareholders want to see profits right and like they're not it's not like a family business who like the chef like the boss could say well let's be a bit more social and then we do it like this but facebook is a sh uh, uh, like stock company oh, yeah. so they need to do what uh, what their owners want from them right 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 all right, right. 
Yeah, and, and I think this this dynamic plays throughout throughout the film. This idea that there's this almost unstoppable train, and that you, you they they hopped on it, mm-hmm. they help it go faster, and then they kind of just threw themselves out of it, and we're like, oh, look how fast this train is going, but we don't really know who's operating it. We don't know how, you know. We only know that it's you know it's not heading somewhere nice. And one of the things that that social media media platforms have been willing to sacrifice in their pursuit of profit in their pursuit of effectiveness has been um, considerations about um, what we ter- what we call generally fake news, uh, news that it might not necessarily be aligned with truth as objective mm-hmm. as it can be. Um, so, so what is your take on this? Do, does social media have an obligation to prevent the spread of disinformation? Well... I think that's a hard question because there are nuanced answers to it, I would say. And I, I think what what is meant by prevent? At least I would say social media shouldn't provoke the the spread of um of misinformation, right? Because currently it's it the algorithm, at least as I did, as they describe it, um, is made to like um replicate content that is most um viral viral yeah. that or is most controversial and most you know Im- like brings the most mo- brings up the most emotions right. in the in the in the users and i think this criteria and there's a problem is especially met by lies <laughs> right. Right. right right and right. If that is the criteria to, to what what is shared and what is not, then I think this is a problem. Yeah. Right. That's that's something that the that the documentary really tried to nail home. There's there's not all content is created the same. There's some content that is more viral than other content, and, and that content has some specific characteristics. It it involves a huge conspiracy, with yeah. which you can learn more and more and more about about how everybody is. Uh, you know they're pedophiles and they're also right so so you can keep going down these rabbit holes and it's really it's actually i i didn't remember this from the first time i saw, I saw the film but that basketball player there he he believed the the earth was flat yeah. and he, he he was like yes i clicked on one of these rabbit holes and i went down and i and i and i believed all of these things because there was so much evidence um about them and i just kept going down um so viral content will be shared at a faster rate than the boring old reality. And yep. there is a problem if that is the criteria by which you promote information. And then this is paired with these individual realities they are talking about, right? And this is also what makes a rabbit hole. Like, you can be, you can go in that rabbit hole and I can go in another rabbit hole and we end up having a completely different uh, so picture what are, of So what life. are you talking about these different realities? Like, what, what is this dynamic? I think this is basically that your feet is fitted like to you you know you will get the content that you like the most i will get the content that i like the most and since truth and common say interest or whatever is not the um is not a criteria you will end up seeing stuff that is completely different from mine also our news it might not that they contradict each other but you might see 
news on a completely different topic i w i would say okay you know i never heard i never hear something about it it must be a a marginal uh, thing right so and i think this paired with misinformation also can lead to to contradicting contradicting realities I right. Would say, right right you you if you're consuming um, news that have nothing to do with the news that somebody else consumes, you're like, well, I have all, there's all of this information available. What is this other person talking about? What, how does he, how has he not read all of this? How, how has he not seen all of this? Well, the, the, the short answer, like they said, is, well, he, he, hasn't. he, hasn't. Yeah. he actually hasn't. Um, and I think you mentioned something important there, but I think, I think it's a little bit different. It's not that your feed is fitted mm -hmm. with the stuff that you like. It's fitted with the stuff that will keep you engaged the longest. Yeah. Okay, you know, it's yeah. not it's not even necessarily that you really want to watch that video of this, you know, social media influencer. It's that they know that they'll keep you engaged on the screen for yeah. longer. Okay. Maybe it makes you feel angry, but you will still exactly. stay there. So it's not the happiness. And I like the content. But right. It's, yeah. Staying engaged. Right. right. It's emotional. As you, like you yeah. said, it triggers an emotional response. And so it is incredible because and again, I mean. The the thing we need to keep ourselves reminded of is that the creators of this algorithm, this system, are not like evil people in the depths of mortar just creating all this stuff. They're just the only incentive. It's not to make you angry. It's not to make you addicted. It is only to take your attention. That's it. It's just it's it's a market logic. Yeah. And mm -hmm. here, let me stress one point that is really important for me. It's not people spreading misinformation on Facebook. That's not the problem. It's also not single features being the problem in themselves. But the problem is that, as, as we said, really, really tiny... Um, Behavioral changes. Yeah, really tiny changes in the algorithm, for example, or in the functions of a, a platform or whatever, can lead to tiny, tiny changes in the behavior of users. And this can lead to magnificent um, consequences on a societal level. So, or to make it short, one developer implementing some new idea, because it's nice and it might um, uh, increase the engagement of users, might end up having societal consequences. Like, you, you see suicide rates going up. You see people uh, uh, lose trust in... Um, in uh, in politics or in democracy and you can say no that like common sense says no like these things this thing can't lead to that thing but in these complex systems like society and also social media are the smallest change at at, at the beginning can lead to a like yeah <laughs> worse consequences in the end it right is, so yeah. and there we have to think like do we need some some mediator who, who who evaluates like what is happening with that thing in the end is it is it okay to implement this tiny uh, change in the algorithm or maybe not right I, I think for example one precise um you know function that um that was eradicated from whatsapp mm -hmm. is how many times you can share yeah. something right mm -hmm. because people would just share content that you know in every single family group and send it to every single one of their contacts and i think one of those things was the incentive there was to stop the, the virality of this content um just to point out like one specific example and you can say that doesn't matter it matters for nobody really in their every life every day um 
use of WhatsApp, you know, I, I, if nobody would have said me, I wouldn't know about it, mm -hmm. um, about this change. But it can change something on the, on the, on the, in the long run. Right, right. And even, okay, maybe this is, you know, leaving the kind of the political sphere, but just in, in your personal life, you know, more and more, and I think we've talked about this in the past, like, people tend to go, I think it was with you this conversation, people tend to go to countries they haven't visited because they want to have like a new you know yeah. story feature yeah. on their That's Instagram. my go-to example yeah, yeah. yeah so th okay so this is just a caricature of something something that's real which is you what is the way in which you see travel the way in which you understand even you know social experiences going to restaurants going to movies going to premieres all of that is now through the lens of something else it changes the way in which you perceive that reality Yep. It, is, it, is also, it also changes the way in which you value that reality, which is then subjective to the, um, the amount of uh, acceptance that you get from your social entourage. So it is, it is incredible the ways in which this can affect... And this is not about changing what, what is posted on Instagram, for example. Yeah. It's only this function that you have like these circles where you have like, right. a small picture and you can put a label. And this makes you think or... Is, think about your life in a different way about your activities right. i would say right right because i mean just to put that in, into perspective it's not like instagram has banned content no that you know is boring yeah <laughs> i mean just to simplify completely but it is it is only adding this one feature by which you can have you can divide your experiences and there is a trend to divide your experiences between countries that you visited and so people think Ah, well, and this, I am boring because I've had these experiences that they're not in different countries. Yes. This, this also comes because you cannot have all the flags, you know? <laughs> you know? So, again, a feature of the platform. And, right, yeah. right, right, right. These tiny little features. And even, you know, I think I, I remember when stories were introduced into mm -hmm. Instagram. It, it changes completely also the way in which you are engaged with the platform. You know, kind of what the platform, if you can if you can give that quality to the platform. But I guess what, what your social entourage expect is, expects from you. Right, what level of engagement with it, and then and then you have also this uh, behavioral change in people who are then consuming what you what you post, yeah. and internalizing it, and you know, replicate it or or not in some way. Right, and in terms of of, of misinformation, I think something that it, I mean, it's I think one of the most terrifying consequences of this whole thing is the impact that they may have on institutions, on democratic mm -hmm. institutions, and and on electoral politics, and. Um, It's very interesting to the extent that um, that that political parties, political organizations, or even mediators, some sort, some other sort of company that specializes in data analytics, can have on an electorate. You know, so so for example, you know, if you have, and this was what was used during during the the 2016 elections in the United States, the the way in which they 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 managed to change the behavior of so many people was not by bombarding everybody with um you know news that would favor one candidate over another they did it by looking at analytics right and seeing people that were that were on the the they were you know undecided not everybody because people who already had their opinions were very you know it's very costly to change their opinions yeah. it's actually really difficult you know so they they targeted through these facebook analytics they found the people that were undecided and they absolutely bombarded them with all of this information that made them lean towards one side right so it is what is the the justification for that like yeah that's that's like because basically it's hard to say something against personalized content mm -hmm. you know in general 
if if you get what what let's say are you mo what you are most emotional about it's fine but it also can be used like this in a targeted <coughs> in a targeted way while still the the developers didn't develop it for for this specific um use you know but still it can be used for that and there it might be especially for democracy for the for all the processes happening within democracy you have to say like to like the first thing we need shared realities right mm -hmm. so this is this is really important for for a lot of other things in life it's for it's completely fine if people think different things and see different things yeah. but there is important and also you can here you can think about ethical um concerns right so should it be allowed to infer from the um behavior of a person to his or her political orientation uh, to to then convince her of something you can convince everybody of anything you can try it but not using or if you collect all the information and then use it to kind of outplay somebody right mm -hmm. then you can have eth ethical concerns because then it's not only about factual um, and logic argumentation then it's about really to trick the right. people right because you you think nothing's going on in your feed you think you're just seeing the same thing that everybody else is seeing and and so you're saying oh i wonder why i'm getting all of these news about uh police officers and you know you you start yeah it is it is as if somebody changed your reality didn't tell you something and moved stuff around in your room you know and again there the problem is not that you try to trick people advertisement tries to trick people all the time but the problem here it comes with all these information you have about a really specific person because also in real life you know if i try to sell people whatever just on the street with a nice ex advertisement it's fine but if i let's say interview you about your deepest fears and, yes. and so on and whatever and then i will intentionally try to trick you then this is even illegal right <laughs> so <laughs> right no 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 that's that's um, <coughs> i think that is where the unethical side comes in the sheer volume of data yeah right that is that is what's what causes so much fear about this because it's not you it's not this kind of flat screen that is you know trying you know showing you some content it is it is somebody who knows more about you than maybe you do about yourself at least about your habits on the internet I think it's fair to say that the they other can end... also like Google analyzes where you put your mouse. This way, they can they can they know how you how you watch a picture. They right. know do you watch like a person if you see a person do you watch first like in the eyes or I don't know on the belly or whatever right. you know. Right, right, right. To yeah, to a they an know obscene amount of, of right of information, and I think that is the unethical that is the unethical part. Simply having that amount of data on somebody. And then using it, using it in, the, in that way, right? Right, right. And but, but I think I think for example in this case with political campaigns, it's not necessarily Facebook who does this. This is Cambridge Analytica. This is other companies that ask for that information and then use it for nefarious, nefarious purposes. Facebook, you know, collects it. That's what it does. Yeah, and they also don't. They, oh, I th I also think that these algorithms of Facebook are not analyzing it in a meaningful way. In what sense? 
Mm, they analyze it, they structure the data, they think about, okay, but they they don't... No, it's not meaningful. They know, okay, people who have the, these and that behavioral patterns, because that that is what AI can do, people with these and that behavioral patterns like this and that. But they don't, they couldn't explain the behavioral pattern. They don't know what what is mm. behind that. They also don't know what kind of content. Like, it's only classification. They know this class of content, this class of behavior. Mm. But they can't explain, like, what does it mean from the inside that a person does this? But how would it change anything? I mean, it's not important for the purposes, for their purposes. No, 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 no. Yeah. But, like, the problem is, and, like, it's important to stress that, and now maybe maybe it's it's also nice to to discuss it because I think there is uh, some controversy about it. Um, can AI actually do ethical judgment to a certain like, or can you use it for that? Because there there are these things like um, Facebook classifying content uh, to be maybe misinformation. Right. I mean, there I'm completely out of my out of my field, but but, but I mean. It is. It is what's happening right now. There's not, or I don't know if there's administrators that go through content. There is some sort of pattern recognition that AI has yeah. to to recognize this information, right? At least in some cases. But there is a recent example where somebody was doing a video, an informative and video about QAnon, for example. Okay. And the algorithm pattern detection. Mm-hmm. The video is then classified as false information, right? right, right. Although it's, it doesn't really claim anything about it, it's it's more descriptive, you know. Right, right, and yeah, yeah. I think that's, I guess, when we talk about they have your information and they know your deepest, dark, darkest fears. It's the they is tons of computers. It's not any people that no. are looking at you. You're actually your name doesn't matter. Your face probably doesn't matter for any other purposes than to recognize you in some context that has to do with business. So you don't matter. But still all of this data is, you know. I also feel that Google, Facebook and so on and this might be something that happens intentionally. Let us think that they are not capable of that much. For example, Google face recognition nowadays, it's insane. Google, if Google would have the technical means to show me every picture in the internet with my or your face. But there is no option to do that. They don't offer it to anybody. So there are things they can do, which are also, which, could, which are definitely useful. They don't offer it to customers because it may be legally not completely fine. And because it might, may also be scary. Yeah, <laughs> but okay, all right. Yeah, so you're thinking you think that they've developed this capacity and that they're simply not showing it because the consequences in the social sphere would be would be detrimental to them. Yeah, imagine like a function you could you, on Facebook or so to see everything, every picture with your face, like without being marked by any human. But do you think there's many pictures with your face that are not in which you are not tagged on Facebook? Imagine you are like um, in a crowd or so. Right, 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 and that somebody, some random person's picture in your. Yeah. Right, right. Like you, you. I mean, you can't deny that this is scary to a certain extent yeah. because even if you didn't post anything on Facebook, Facebook, no, you were there. Right. If it has some other picture to relate yeah, it to. Yeah. 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 Right. right. Yeah. 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 That that is that is pretty scary, and I think that's that's the they use this metaphor. 
of the genie, right? You can't put the genie back in the, in the lab, mm-hmm. right? It is true, right? These technologies have been developed, and to a certain extent, the question right now is not, you know, whether or not we're going to use them. The question is how to use them ethically, because we do have the capability to have these face recognition tools. We do have capabilities that we never before have we had, right? And I think, I mean, not to get too deep in the, into the political side, but I think, for example, a lot of a lot of thought has, a lot of people have been very worried about the Chinese government and mm-hmm. their and their face recognition cap, uh, capabilities. But the extent to which that is happening also within that and then democracies that also should be questioned. The extent to which also private corporations may have access to all of these things that also should be questioned, um, because I mean it is it is a tool that is available um, and not not just. You know, it's available to to a select few, um, and and maybe there's no democratic oversight that 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 precise thing. Mm. Do you actually think that this could end up as worse as they describe describe it in the um... in the documentary? Yeah. Right? There's there's this one guy, the guy from Pinterest, who says uh, they ask him, "What do you think? What do you feel? What do you see within ten, twenty years, something like that?" And he says, "Civil war." Um, yeah, the thing is, you know, we're 20 something years old. Like, I don't know what a civil war looks like. I don't know what war looks like. But I also don't feel like also social media makes people to don't, don't, don't want to have war, I think. Right. You think so? So civil war, like the, I don't know. I think I kind of disagree with that. I think Mm -hmm. people are more willing than ever to you know, to take a stand for what they believe because they believe that things are going very bad. And I think this is where, this is where, you know, narratives that are completely out of touch with reality in which you're saving the world from Satanists who are raping babies Mm -hmm. and, and the very real situation of the world, which is one in which you were deteriorating species were warming up the oceans and we're actually you were headed for a very bad place they both collide you know so yeah. so you you can say you know the the world is a very bad place and somebody can say yes it is for very different reasons than yours and i think both sides are equally angry about this some the the side that is completely delusional and thinks about culture wars and migrants and all of this all of these things is equally as concerned as the other side that says you know capitalism and and uh, inequality and the climate change catastrophe you know the, yeah take a stand mm-hmm. i see your point i think it's it's hard to it's hard to see because like there are cases you know and they also describe them in the in the documentary where people violate other people in real life because of social media mm. whatever but there are also always outliers, you know, and it's it and it's hard to distinguish between outliers and really systematic phenomena. Okay, let's say this because they put up they they bring so up the, the I, Rohingya I, I, example. I don't I don't right? want to say there is there, there won't be civil war because of social media, but I also don't I'm not sure like this is a pretty bold. Right, it won't be because of social media, but think about you know Islamophobia. Think about the so they bring up the Rohingya example. Right? Mm-hmm maybe the state-led campaign wouldn't have been so successful, let alone popular, if it hadn't had the support, not the support per se, but it hadn't had the platform, Facebook, to spread their messages of hatred. Mm. And I think the same thing could be said about a lot of things. Think about the, you know, storming the Capitol uh, last year. How 
what if those people gathered together with their violent intentions and had you know and had been able to do what they did if it hadn't been because of the connection the connectivity that the that social media and that the internet in general other platforms maybe provided for them i think it is a pretty strong vehicle for 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 action very strong vehicle and it could it could be mm -hmm. but also i'm not sure democracies and so on and the our political systems usually also found an answer to a lot of developments and changed their structure to a certain extent okay right as such like for example well they say for example the printing press okay right that that also was a thing like suddenly everybody had information about everything and so on and society changed and there were hard times probably for some people in some positions or institutions and so on for church for example oh, right. but in the end it became better okay i would say from from nowadays perspective we would say it became better right right but so but like, it's always hard to 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 judge if you were just in the middle of the of the story so right um i think the narrative so far in our democratic societies at least in our era has been okay you combat misinformation with information you combat fake news with you combat something that is false with something that is real because there's more real than false and more more people will bring stuff that is real and so the false stuff you don't need to ban it because it'll simply be irrelevant because who wants false information if you have the real information here real science but i don't think that stands you know mm, anymore i also don't Be think so yeah because right the, the the european union three weeks ago banned rt and sputnik Right. That is to say, there is no way to counteract the effect that misinformation coming from these platforms has done in our societies. There's no way to rescue that societal tissue to make it heal without banning these companies. And that's problematic. That is problematic, but it's also, I mean, that, that step shows something. It shows, you know, <laughs> fake news has attraction that it has never had in history. I, I actually, I do believe that. Yeah, I, I, I agree, but I don't know about the specific reasons. I know the algorithm and so on. Yeah, okay. Right. But also, and this is a thing. Don't you feel that a lot of those people which are most prone to misinformation are old people? No. No? Okay, I, I see what you're saying. I think that, that definitely is. Like not Gen Z, I would say. Really? You don't think so? Mm -hmm. Because I think, okay, to, to, to answer, actually, go ahead with what you were going to say. The, the, why do you think it's older people? This is something I'm, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> But one explanation would be missing comp com competences. Okay, okay. So they're right? just not tech savvy. They may, they're maybe gen they may be naive. They can yeah. believe. Okay, okay. Because for a long time, if you read something written down somewhere and print it, <laughs> it it's true. <laughs> <laughs> and right. this this was a thing that also like because a lot of common sense mechanisms are there because they work. And for hundreds of years, something that has been written down and printed or replicated was true. This rule holds and this rule works in your everyday life. Okay. Now now we are at a, in a time where th this idea doesn't work anymore, right? right. So people of, of our age say, okay, no, uh, I can't believe everything I read. Right. 
great. Well, this is a this is one explanation, but I'm not sure about it. But it would also indicate that if all these people die, like <laughs> when, when when Gen Z is the oldest generation, then that that would mean that we are uh, done with these problems. So okay, so here's why I don't take your point mm -hmm. because I do think that they that the people that tend to believe in stuff that isn't real just cuts across ages mm -hmm. and i think and this might be a little bit problematic to even say but i think it is because of democratization democratization in the sense that never before have we been able to spread our opinions to have our own opinions and to have some incidents and in what happens in our social sphere than ever before mm -hmm. you know a peasant would not have you know they can believe whatever they want You know, but when somebody starts believing something and spreading their information, it, you you have people. Education has always been elitist. You need to go through a certain process to gain the certain information to then contribute to the to to the to, to, to the to the discourse that mm -hmm. has been constructed through centuries of investigation of the scientific method. And let me take a, a specific example because. One one of the things that has fascinated me for the last couple of years is people who believe that the earth is flat. People who believe that the earth is flat don't believe that the earth is flat just because everybody's lying to them. They believe that the earth is flat because they've gone out, they've gone on planes, they've used the, their little lever, and they've said, hey, the bubble doesn't move a millimeter to the left, therefore the curvature of the earth cannot possibly be the way that they tell you. They have these like heuristic devices almost that try to explain the world in ways that they believe. The other test is the one about the ships. They say, okay, so go to the beach and if you take the, uh, the, the diameter of the earth, the ship should sink before it reaches uh, 200 meters or something like that. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know the, the exact thing. And the ship doesn't sink, you know, or the ship doesn't go down. So they say, hey, look at that. It can't possibly be that the earth is round if the ship is not going down. There's no curvature. The, the thing is, you know, for example, in the ship case, it doesn't go down because there's this effect that happens with light through our atmosphere that, you know, you just know if you know stuff about physics that they clearly They're don't know. Also, like, <laughs> you also see around the corner. Right, so to say. Yeah, right, yeah. exactly, exactly. So you wouldn't know that. But the thing is there. Okay, so what is, what is the inertia that pushes these, these people to doubt? The inertia that pushes these people to doubt is the same inertia that pushed Galileo to doubt. You know, it is to say, hey, I don't accept what has been given to me and I want to find out from my own from my own hands from my, in my own eyes mm -hmm. I want to see the stuff that is true I don't want to just climb up the, the shoulders of giants that have that have done all the scientific development and it responds I think it's very to a certain extent it's a little bit noble to say hey I don't I don't accept these preconceived ideas I want to see for reality what is gravity what is the earth why are you telling me it's round that the, the usually that is what is ask for, for by 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 students by pupils and so on exactly. like we are in in, in in democratic states we are usually raised uh, with the message hey be be critical about what you hear and so on but then right. it comes and then for certain things this principle doesn't doesn't apply okay let me tell you this do you understand how your computer works um, maybe better than most maybe, people. Maybe a lot better than me. Yeah, yeah, because I have no idea how my computer works. I have no idea actually how you weld this table together. I have no idea of so many things. We live in an era in which we can't do this anymore. Things are so incredibly complex that we have to kind of let go. Yeah. 
And there are two things to that. It's completely unrelevant that I don't know how this table was made. And it's also not political. Okay. <laughs> this is, okay, this okay. is a really good thing because then I don't really <laughs> right, care. right, but to extrapolate that yeah. to yeah. So, but now if you think about climate change, for example, right. For and we also had this point before, right. for the individual, it's completely irrelevant in everyday life, whether why why and whether and how there's climate change. The same about the flat Earth theory. <laughs> Even if I book a flight to New York. <laughs> I don't care where it goes. <laughs> I mean, I, it would be nice if they take the shortest way, but I could still believe that the earth is, is flat. Like, uh, you know, yeah. I don't have to think that much about it. But there again, it's it's politically also uh, in, uh, like, Relevant. it doesn't matter. So, but for for um, climate change, it, it it matters a lot whether the individual, like, not individually, but whether they are big parts of society who don't believe that there is climate change. That is important. But at the same time, it does matter for their everyday life. So they kind of can think whatever they want. They don't feel the consequences of being false. If I am false about what, I don't know, my girlfriend's like, my girlfriend likes, likes to eat, for example, then I, that, that could hurt me, <laughs> you know? That, okay, that's politically also, again, irrelevant, but it hurts in my everyday life. If you are wrong about climate change or about the earth being flat, it doesn't hurt you. But there, it's politically relevant and it hurts all of us then. Right. And, and let me ask you this, because the, the argument that people that don't believe in the Anthropocene and climate change is, it's not that there's no climate change. They don't believe in man-made climate change. Do you know? Do you know the ways in which men affects cl- <laughs> the mankind affects climate? No, no, neither. No, <laughs> I've learned about them in school, but I have no idea to see ocean acidification and to say, hey, this is a process in which we have had incidents that hasn't happened before, in a, you know, in centuries. Yeah, what- even those who say, well, these stupid people, how can they believe that there's no climate change? <laughs> they couldn't explain <laughs> the, the, the processes, right? Exactly. Nobody, I mean, maybe some specialist. So the thing you need to do, we live in a society in which you have to climb up the shoulders of giants to trust the scientific discourse discourse, and to say, okay, I believe the people that have spent their lives studying this because I do not understand it. I'm humble. I'm stupid. I do not understand how this works. But I believe in this body of evidence. And I know some, I have some guidelines as to how to distinguish this. That is what you have to do today. And you have to kind of leave behind a little bit painfully, but this idea that you can discover truth through your own methods. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah. And uh, like as a side note, I think it's interesting that we are really close to the debate we were when we were talking about Don't Look Up. Yeah. And there you can also see that Netflix, I think, has also some themes where they want to transmit some ideas. A, a message, some ideas. Yeah. And uh, I think this documentary and Don't Look Up kind of are connected to the same theme yeah netflix is uh, or to the same project yeah 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 and i think they've had they've had i think the other movie that i wanted us to watch the great hack that talks more about cambridge analytica mm-hmm. that, um yeah that that link between social media and these private companies that that also was sponsored by netflix i, I think so it is really interesting right because netflix also operates which is within this political economy yeah. right and a- especially with the engagement time I guess. <laughs> <laughs> netflix is really interested in that I mean, that's the incredible thing about the market that market can even sell you or in this case 
the capitalist market can even sell you anti-capitalism. You know, <laughs> it is incredible the 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 yeah the metamorphosis of it of it. Um, well, let's let's. I mean, now we discussed all these problems in detail, but they. And this was something I was looking forward to in the in the in the um, movie. At the end, they speak about regulation, right. and they don't have precise ideas about how to regulate. Do you have ones? Well, they they did mention one that I hadn't picked up on before, but it was very interesting. It was the idea that you can, you can charge, so you can play, you could put uh, taxes on the assets that uh, digital companies have, assets mm -hmm. such as data. Right, so they would be discouraged to have obscene amounts of data on people because they are all, all going to be subject to taxation. So I think that was very, very interesting. I hadn't thought about that. But what does that idea really change about the problems? The idea. I mean, it's it's a nice idea to tax data. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but is it does that change the way they analyze your individual data and so yes, on? Yes, because they don't have the capacity to do anything more. Imagine if Facebook only had your data, your you know your birth date, mm -hmm. your face, and your The stuff that the yeah, the you like a particular actor actress. Okay, perfect. Like, what are you gonna do next? You don't know, you know. Mm. So you would be discouraged to see how many time you spend a, in, in a picture because of all of that, if it were transparent, would be accurately uh, taxed. There would be some tribute. Um, so I think that was a very interesting idea because I I do believe, and and I think this is this is a very this is a very large theme here, uh, but I think a lot of people, uh, especially of our age range tend to confuse the market with capitalism. And yeah, East, right, that and, might and be. So the market, the, the, we can talk about the, the share of the market that Facebook has, but the fact that there's competition between social media platforms is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. The rules on which they operate within the paradigm of a market, that is the thing that has some problems, right? So both of them operate in what we would mm -hmm. bluntly call capitalist system in the sense that they both operate in a free market, right? But there's no rule. There's no reason why there shouldn't be regulations. Yeah. That is not more pro-market. For, <laughs> for me, this whole thing has like a two things think about okay one thing is implementability in terms like one is the technical side but leave that aside right. also what what is doable in our system like you can't do all the things and the other thing is more an idealistic okay. uh, view and starting with the idealistic view i would say there's also no reason for social media to be private anymore But Back there then, is a I could... transboundary element, which is interesting, right? Because if it's not private, then what is it going to be? National? I, yeah. But... I, for example, I would say that the rules on social media, for example, like there are rules. They can be explicit or explicit. Like mm -hmm. Facebook is saying we ban certain content. Right. And then there also the algorithm and so on has e implicit rules. Like what is replicated and what is not. It's It's kind of a rule. So, and I think in a democratic system... The rules that apply in social everyday life and in, in the public space should be decided by the public, right? Mm -hmm. And by in how how it, how things work in the Netherlands is decided by the Dutch citizens, not by the Europe. Like okay, to a certain extent by European citizens, but so on. But like you know this there this kind of matches on these levels. Mm -hmm. So, and China understood this. 
they know if we allow Facebook, they will rule how, how social life works in China. And they say we don't want that. We have our own um, systems and they, they, they uh, decide, like, okay, there it's not democratic, but um, China decides how social life on their um, social media platforms as an important part of social life overall works in China. And I think this is also something that uh, should be our vision in every other democratic so state. So you're saying, you're saying there's, a, there's a digital company, Facebook, created in the United States, in the United States, but you know, has German users in Germany. Yeah. The regime to which Facebook will be subjected depends by country, basically, which is actually, it's not the case today. There's some free speech regulations that are based on laws in the US, which are, of course, much more lenient than in Europe. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. So that is great. Because as a private company, Facebook could, for example, say if they have certain reasons, we don't want uh, this and that content on our platform mm -hmm. it 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 shouldn't be uh, discriminating and so on yeah right but they can't say we don't want on our platform that uh, people talk about climate change they could say that mm -hmm. and nobody could do anything <laughs> and this is not a this <laughs> right, is not right. good the, the amount know? of power that a private company that also is, has no oversight yeah, yeah certain they ban they at least they exclude certain things like there's also um a difference like you may you may be allowed to post something but they might not replicate it that much mm. for example because uh, for um controversial content it can't be monetized so they decide no we we don't want to show that content to too many people it can be there you can post it but we won't replicate it so yeah th these there are these problems and also then then there are these um people coming around the corner saying but you can't privatize, um, like, uh, you can't... Like, you can nationalize. Yeah, nationalize yeah. private companies and so on and so, and so on. But then there there's a question, you know, usual all these capitalist ideas are based on market, free market um, mm -hmm. principles. Like, yeah. But here, there is no free market anymore. So for, like, the the money Google, Facebook and so on earns... Do they earn it really f for being better than their comp competitors? No, they earn it because they won a fight against their competitors 30 years ago right. or 20 years ago. Right. So they won the fight and now they're really cashing in. Right. But we can stop that. For example, if you have um, with Peyton, like, um, like if, you, if you develop a medicine patents. and so on, yeah, patents, patents. Yeah. then you are, you are allowed to make money with that medicine for 20 years. 20 years yeah. And then... It, it is said, okay, then you have to allow other other companies to produce it to maybe cheaper and also make money with it. So for 20 years, you have the license to print money from your idea. And I think we could do something similar with social media because then you still have the incentive, like with the ideas, you have the, then you have the incentive to develop new medicine. You can, you can, um, you get the rewards for developing a good medicine for 20 years, but then it should be public uh, ownership, so to say, right? right? And I think the same, we should, we should think about a similar principle with social media. Right, I completely agree. And it's a very interesting thing because a lot of people argue, well, that system of patents doesn't work. It actually should be a lot less. It should be five years. It should be something like that, especially in the case of COVID, for example. Yeah. Um, but I completely agree. First thing that I want to say is, 
that the rather the the justification that has been given for these private companies to be respected in such ways, even though they have a huge portion of so the social sphere, right? Mm-hmm. So, so social media, is that they have developed that those capacities through their own sheer, you know, brain power, and that is that is a complete lie, right? That's, right. That's but you can point at public money at every point, and even you know directly and indirectly, you know directly through funding to institutions, right? simply funds coming from taxation, right? So our money going to these projects. And you can also see it through, where did these people go to school? What roads did they use if you want to go to that extent? What country did they, did they were they able to be brought up in? There is always that, you know, the, the idea that you can simply develop a product based on all the advantages that you've gotten from your society and then give back nothing. And, absolutely yeah, and one, one thing is, their ideas might be brilliant, but let's take the case there are 10 people with the same brilliant idea. Through network dynamics, there are really nice theories on that. Only one will win. You need only one social platform. You need only mm-hmm. one uh, eBay marketplace. Okay, there might be Amazon and so on, and they have their spe- specialties. But take Microsoft, for example. Every other operating system lost. Right. Linux might be the better operating system from a technical perspective. They have the better ideas and so on. But it's Microsoft who won because once you're big enough, Microsoft made deals with computer manufacturers. So that was the reason more and more computers had Microsoft. And although they are not the best operating system in the world, they are. They need these network effects, you know. Right. Software developers will think about... Um, do I develop my software for Microsoft or Linux or both? And then they will think, oh, we have so many users. It's 90% users, uh, Microsoft. So we'll develop it for Microsoft. Linux users then, or then the user, on the other hand, will think about, hmm, what operating system should I choose? Linux or Microsoft? Oh, all the software is only available for Microsoft. So because people agreed 20 years ago, like, the first per- like imagine the first computer has Microsoft, and that's the reason... All people now nowadays right. have to use Microsoft because right. the developers only develop and so on. Yeah, right, right, right. So even if people have this, if everybody has the same great idea, only one will win and take it all. Like this is a problem in these, right. um, a winner takes all uh, markets, right? right? There, there and this is a winner take, takes all market. Right. There are situations in which the pioneer gets a, a share of the profit that is not even comparable yeah. to the second one in line, which could have been seconds after, right? And and, and just and to bring who, who, we, who even could have the better, better idea. Problem. Yeah, yeah. And and just to bring and, this back mm-hmm. because uh, I'm sorry, the 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 what you're describing right here is so interesting because it goes against the basic justification for which you should protect the. The, the the fact that these private the companies are private corporations you're saying okay well you know they operate in a, in a free market and we can't do we can't nationalize stuff in a free market yeah. right but th- the thing is is there a free market you know there is you can make the argument from a market from a pro market anti capitalist perspective and say absolutely there's no competition if there were competition you would have better data policies because then companies would compete for your attention with better offers on what you're getting in that platform yeah. It is because there is the non-existence of that dynamic that you have a monopoly and that you have a capitalist dynamic. Capitalist dynamics are both pro and anti-market. They're just convenient for capital, right? And this is a case in which it is anti-market. 
right? Yeah, yes. and also one important currency in that whole business is data, right? Right. And here maybe the principles of Marx and so on that capital results from capital and reproduces itself is even more applicable to data, right? Once right. you have the data, you can develop the best products and functions. You know what you what the users want. So you will always be first by improving your product, right. by offering more and so on, and by being most uh, efficient in, in the way you do all these things, you know? And uh, because this is maybe my most realistic uh, idea how to change these things, I would say if you collect data of users, yes. you need to make it open source. Sorry, open source? Yeah. Oh, wow. In an anonymized, uh, anonymized form. Wow. Because then, like this is maybe one thing, <laughs> then, then, you get these mar then you get the market back. Really? Right, so Google has to publish all the data they have, and then I can say, "Oh, I have a good idea about the service or product, and I will now look at the data and see like right. what what do these people really need right so right right so so okay, so this is the case that we're explaining right now is you have an open market for data which looks like you know, you can choose the parameters and I want people that are 17 to 20 and like popsicles and you can look at who those people are, the profiles of those people and, and decide to buy them, right? Decide to put an ad towards them. Yeah. You can, right. Well, but the data is for free first, right? The, okay, so, so the data is for free. Right. Because then you have a, comp like, if you give, the, if you make the data free, then you make the conditions for all, again, the same. Google will always win the, uh, the race because they have the data. Mm-hmm. Not because they have the better ideas or better algorithms and so on, but because they have the better data. If you make the data free, then it's about who has the better algorithms, who has the better idea, right? Mm. And then there's the market uh, mm. dynamic again. Right. right. So this is one idea. And the other idea is, I think, that we have to make sure that you, for example, are allowed, like... Uh, the social if you have a social if you're a social media user the company has to report you on something like what did we do with your data yes, yes. and so on and what what did we collect in the past month and then it needs explicit consent that they are allowed to do that right. not the other way around it's not that you uh, object to it and say no i don't want it it's to do it you need to ex to explicitly agree that the data you collected is used in this and that way mm -hmm. and everything else should be legal right because the the value of data today is enormous yeah right as a commodity it's enormous right and, and you yeah. can also like legally if you consent or agree to something you don't understand then that has that has no meaning right right right, right. and it, there is an argument to say well you know you produce data by giving your attention you know you have Mm -hmm. people you know if you make a way in which you can gain benefit from the data that you produce there is almost an argument to make for redistribution of wealth where are most people in this world right developing countries who are expected or projected to grow even even more and uh, to have we're simply you know it is very interesting because it seems we're in a, in a market that has not yet undergone regulation that is still in the wild west phase Right, where people are literally 
you know, the sheriff is shooting people in the face. Yeah. You have this this thing. And so there's other industries that you boycott precisely because there's no regulation, precisely because it's outside of the market, right? Because you can't you can't condone the conditions. And this, you know, there might be a space for public outrage and to say, I'm not participating in this anymore until you fix it. Yeah, as I as I said, there the social problem comes in. If you quit social media, then you're socially like isolated to a certain extent. But um, also regarding ongoing regulation uh, initiatives, yeah, maybe one final comment on that or my, my one final thought. Um, I think, and we also had this with the platforms, the message, right? Um, stop. Uh, regulating content or to try to ban content and so on mm. you need to get to the algorithms because they 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 are the dealers you know in what sense uh, like they they decide who sees what information and so on it's not banning certain information and allowing other information or whatever or classifying it's it's really the the algorithms are the keys of google and and facebook and so on it's not the content and it's not Whatever. And so you think if you were exposed to you know, big news chains and also fake news, you would see both sides and you would say, "Hey, this is fake news." Um, I, about the about the explicit case, I'm not sure because also like this is the the um, secret of these companies are these algorithms, right? They are not public, mm. and there there is there is maybe a handful of people who know about these algorithms, and I but I think. Like these, these are the source of the problem, and you need to get to the source of the problem. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, because regulating content is, you can make it like it's kind of paradoxical. If you say the problem is structurally new, it's not because the content is not the problem. The problem is not that there is misinformation in the world or that people write down stupid things. It has always been like that, right? So. The solution can also not be to ban this, what has always been there, or to classify it as stupid stuff. Right. It also doesn't work, I would say. Even even for human, you shouldn't, like, it should really be the last, the last, last ultima ratio to... Uh, to classify what is true and what is false. Right. This is a, this is a bad idea. It has always been the church tried it for a couple of centuries, and we we shouldn't start with it again. A very democratic uh, measure, right? To something to something has been perverted by diff, by by other dynamics, right? So you're you're yeah. proposing, the, yeah, right. And I think yeah, I hope that we're still in a place where we can do that. Maybe you know I would point again at the actions of the European Union and say. Now maybe this is ultima ratio, and and well, but in any case, I think the 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 importance of having these conversations and the importance of keep keeping you know the discussion alive and making these documentaries is is really really important. I think this this documentary was really important for for the people to see and um, and yeah, and we had a very lively conversation. Yeah, I agree. It was fun. <laughs> All right, I hope Thank you guys you. enjoy it. Thank you guys for listening and hopefully you'll hear from us next month discussing another awesome movie. See you guys. See you.